just a moment, I'm going to welcome our guest speaker, whom I'm very glad and honored to have here with us today. Uh, it's Dr. Willem Van Gimmeren, who is one of my professors in seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I learned so, so much from Dr. Van Gimmeren over the course of three or four classes that we took together. And uh, he has since retired at the seminary, but is being used by the Lord to have a tremendous ministry uh, teaching among the nations, working in a lot of different places. So it's an honor to have him with us. Dr. Van Gimmeren is going to uh, talk to us today from Colossians chapter one. So you can either open your Bible to Colossians chapter one or if you look beneath the corporate prayer section in your bulletin, you'll see our text printed there. Colossians one, one through eight. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is the word of God. Welcome, Dr. Van Gimmeren, to share with us. It is a joy to be with you. It has been several years that your pastor and I have talked about coming to visit you. We have some friends in Oklahoma City, and uh, that is the connection. I thought possibly we might be able to see you earlier but it has taken us a couple of years to be here, but we are here. As we are here, let's think in terms of where we need to think about what we need to focus on. And all too often, we are focusing on small things. We have to begin to think about eternity. We have to think about the excellence of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfection. But all too often, we are so concerned about ourselves. Now, let me illustrate this. A little boy comes to his father and is asking the question, what is the biggest number in the world? The father gives him the opportunity to tell what the answer is. So the boy says, 597. The father says, what about 598? I was close. He did not understand there is also 599, and there is 600, etc., etc. But this is exactly where we are at. Namely, we want to be close to our standards. And we are not thinking in terms of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power that is ours in the Holy Trinity. So all too often we think about ourselves, our own concerns, our immediate needs, and we are really very, very immature. So the topic I want to talk really about is how to grow in maturity, how to grow in perfection, 
I realize we'll never be perfect. Even in eternity, we'll not match the perfection of Jesus Christ. Christ is God. And his perfection is at a very different level than the perfection we may find among human beings. So what we have to begin to see is that we are in Jesus Christ. We are not by ourselves. We are just not members of a church. But we are in Jesus Christ. And so how do we mature in Jesus Christ? And the sad thing is that many people are never maturing. They make the same mistake again and again. They revert to bad patterns that they have learned when they were little children. So, for example, they love to, in their own way, to scream, get mad, get frustrated, like a two-year-old. And it happens again and again and again. Any hands up? Don't do it. Because you realize that, especially when you are married, that your spouse is far from perfect. You know that you are far from perfect. And what we have to do is see there's a new generation of people that is mature in Jesus Christ. Why am I so concerned about that? The answer is that with the growing secularization and the skepticism of people who are our neighbors and our co-workers, who are asking questions, what about Christians? I've not seen any Christian who is really looking at life with a balance, with a maturity, with discernment. All too often, we just react. So what do you think about Trump? (laughs) Garbage. What do you think about Hillary Clinton? (laughs) Garbage. And we cannot think through issues in a mature way. So I'm asking you to begin to think in a Trinitarian way where we look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But ever before we look then at the Trinitarian Gospel that Paul is embracing, let me give a quote from John R.W. Stott. Your pastor knows that I worked on the board with John Stott when he was still alive and admire his maturity. There is a balance that he has. So, for example, when it comes to the issue of homosexuality, he doesn't just make a bad face and say, terrible. He says, let's talk about this. Let's talk about lesbianism. Let's talk about the issues. And so I'm asking you not just to kind of react, but rather to become a tour in Jesus Christ. The little boy could say 598, and he thought he was very mature. But, of course, we know something about eternity, and uh, in a sense, we don't even begin to understand it. What is, then, something that is perfect? What is eternal? What is the highest number in the world that we cannot conceive of? So, this is what John Stott says. It is when people see Christ in his fullness, emphasize that, that their faith, obedience, and worship are stimulated so they become mature. In other words, don't focus on a low number, namely somebody who is a fine leader in this group, and say, I want to be like X or Y. Begin to focus on Christ. 
He is the one who is the perfect one accepted by the Father. Focus in on Him and then grow in your faith, obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that every day, it's not that you can just survive the day. Every day, you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and you draw your inspiration from Him. But it's not Christ without the Scriptures. Because John Stott continues, It is the Word of God, confirmed and enforced by the Spirit of God, which effectively matures and sanctifies the people of God. In other words, it is Christ and the Scriptures. And Christ confirms the Scriptures. Many of us do not begin to understand the relationship between old and new, because we don't understand how Jesus used the Old Testament. So we use the New Testament against the Old Testament. And we say, thank God we are not living at a time of the patriarchs or of Moses or of David or the prophets. Oh yeah? Begin to understand how these people had fellowship with God. Oh, they did not understand the Trinity. They did not, not understand the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had a maturity. They had a knowledge and a discernment. They walked with God even though they had not seen him. We have seen him in Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh. And we know something of his glory. Something of his truth. Something of his beauty. But even so, the church is not a place where mature leaders, mature Christians continue to show the face of Christ. And so people are looking for the face of Christ. Where will they see the face of Christ? It is when there are Christian men and women who then, as it were, laugh at secularization because there is a transcendent relationship that they have that secularized people will never gain. They may purchase great things, they may do great things, but there's all the time that yearning for more. So where do we find people that are content and continue to be creative? Not just the content and passive, but people who are leading us in excellence. So that is then the reason why I want to talk about the Trinity first. For Paul, something had happened in his conversion. Sure, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know what he really began to understand? Not just that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but he began to understand the Old Testament. He was trained in the Old Testament. He loved the Old Testament. He loved Moses and the prophets. And when he met Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, things began to make sense. He had been trained to believe in one God. He was a theist, a Jewish theist. But that's not enough. You can be a Muslim theist. You can be a Hindu theist. So, all too often we define ourselves as being theists. But that is a low-level theism, my friends. What did Paul begin to understand? A Trinitarian theism. How can it be that the person who believes in one God can at the same time recognize that there are three persons? God communicates himself. We don't come to that level of understanding the Trinity 
except by direct divine self-communication. What happened in the coming of Christ? Christ communicated the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was direct self-communication. Now, I know what you want to say. That's the reason I like the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, the apostles are writing about the Trinity. They defend the Trinity. No, they don't. There's nowhere a defense of the Trinity in Old or in New Testament. The Old Testament believes in one God and puts one God before us. The New Testament puts then three persons of God before us. What does Jesus do? He says, don't you know the scriptures of the Old Testament? They already are speaking about me. Are you with me? In other words, Jesus is not just new, but rather he is God, the creator God, the ruler of the world, who comes in the flesh, and he is ready then to reveal his glory, only to be rejected. Had not they rejected God in the Old Testament? They had rejected Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. They had rejected the Spirit in the Old Testament. So for the Apostle Paul, maturity means the recognition that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We must be Trinitarian theists. So let me make it clear once and for all. Just don't say you believe in God. Even the devil believes in God. Begin to think about theism as a Trinitarian theism that will then permit you to mature in Jesus Christ. Many of us are secular in mindset. We hardly talk about God. We hardly think about God. We go through the day as a routine. But what about the scriptures? What about knowing that we are in Jesus Christ? What about knowing that God is our Father? What about knowing something about the Spirit? In other words, my response to secularization is this. That secularization is going to wash out the people of God from those that are not the people of God. There are plenty of people in our churches who talk about God, but it is like an empty shell. They talk about history, as it were. A father or mother who may have passed away. They talk about, as it were, the crib that indicates that they were born, but they don't talk about the parent who gave birth to them. We are in God. That is the consistent message of Scripture. Namely, that it's only in God that we have our being. Right? Now, next, what we read is, we have our being in Jesus Christ. Are God and Jesus Christ the same? Yes and no. Because now we find there's a richness in that it's not only one God, but it's a God who's three in one. That there is a unity that we have in God that is so magnificent, so splendid, so that we are enriched by believing in one God in three persons. That means that we have the opportunity to get to know who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is. And for Paul, this is then at the essence in writing Colossians, Paul is in prison. 
And he writes a number of epistles, such as Philippians, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians. And Colossians and Ephesians, sometimes study them, they are very close together. It's apparent that Paul wrote then Ephesians after he had written Colossians, so that in Colossians you have kind of a brief that's more fully developed in Ephesians. And I encourage you not only to think about a trinity, but also to think about the scriptures. So go back to this quote of John Stott. We need to know the excellence of Christ, the perfection of Christ, which is only to be seen in Trinitarian relationships. We cannot talk about Christ except then that we bring in the Father and the Holy Spirit. Are you with me in that regard? So if you want to mature in Jesus Christ, you have to know the Father and the Holy Spirit. But secondly, as John Stott indicates, you have to know the Scriptures. And it means that I encourage you, in preparation for Easter Sunday next Sunday, read the whole epistle of Colossians. The whole epistle, you say, how can that be? My friends, it's only a couple of pages. <laughs> it is not that long. You want to get a bigger epistle? Go to Ephesians. You have a commentary, as it were, on what you read in Colossians. But begin to live out of a book. Your pastor knows from my teaching that I encourage people to dwell in books. Not just to get a verse here or there, but to get to know a book. How you find your identity in a biblical book, whether it be Old or New Testament. Learn to dwell on these books. Because that was the witness of the early church. How could they talk about the Trinity? How could they dwell on the Trinity? You know why? They knew the scriptures, old and new. They were able to go from Moses to Jesus and from the prophets to the apostles. They saw those connections. I encourage you, if you want to mature in Jesus Christ, just don't read fine Christian books. Read the book, the scriptures, and begin to dwell on one book. And begin to see that your whole life can be changed through that book. Do the same thing with another book and another. And you're going to be much richer. You're able to nuance issues much better. It is so easy to react. But it's so difficult to discern. What is the difference? When somebody is sick, you may say, oh, take an aspirin or two. That's a reaction. But what about the analysis, the diagnosis? That's what a medical doctor does. There is then a discernment, namely, this could be the problem, and that can be the problem, and that can be the problem. So let us then get some stats and find out what the problem really may be. That's discernment. You might say, that takes time. Welcome to life, my friends. Take time to make decisions, good decisions. Learn good habits. And one of the good habits is to get to know Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? He gets you in relationship to the Trinity, another very good habit. What else does he do? He gets you into the Scriptures, another good thing to do. And then gradually there is a maturation that's taken place.
Let's pay attention to the Trinitarian aspect, beginning with verse 2 of Colossians chapter 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He is saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, you see that's connected. Namely, you have the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he continues, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So notice then that on the one hand, he is thinking about the Father. God is our Father. But what is the next thought? He is the Father of Jesus Christ. In other words, we cannot just begin our prayers by saying, Our Father in Heaven, without thinking about the privilege we have of having sonship, daughtership, relationship with God, our Father, in Jesus Christ. So the Trinitarian emphasis is very much for him an approach to life. He thinks about God, the Father, who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says then, verse 4, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Now, question. When we begin to be Trinitarian, does it mean that we have a focus? Yes, we have a focus. We have a focus on God as our Father. So it's appropriate to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. But secondly, would you please keep in mind, it's the Father's desire that we focus on His Son. So that we are Christocentric. We are not just Trinitarian, but we are Christocentric. And for the Apostle Paul, he had learned to see that the Father is pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ. In other words, the Father is pleased to see that His Son gets the honor because of the suffering that he has endured and that the benefits we have are only in Jesus Christ. So I want to make the point very clearly. To be Trinitarian does not mean that you pay equal attention to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures focus in on Jesus Christ. The Father has sent the Son. The Father has sent the Holy Spirit. Do you see? And the mission of the Son and Holy Spirit is a joint mission that goes from eternity into eternity. And we have to see ourselves then in relationship to the Son and consequently also to the Spirit. And then in the Son and in the Spirit, we are connected to the Father. So let me make it very clear, be Christocentric but be Trinitarian. Don't leave out the Father or the Holy Spirit. Paul continues then to speak about the Holy Spirit as well. And would you just take a look then at chapter 1 of Colossians, where he then says in verse 8, And who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So your faith in Christ, your love in the Spirit, and we can see as to how there's a relationship that is multifold, complex. Now, I don't know about you, but complexity is a wonderful thing. Most Christians love simplicity. My uh, friend, Dr. Getsky, the psychologist, 
And I have been talking the last couple of days about the theory of complexity. How beautiful it is to have complexity. Well, some of you may say, you want maturity without complexity. My friends, you'll never become mature. It is a child who just wants to have a number. 598. Beautiful. That is it. But, as we mature, the simple answers don't hold anymore. So, John Stott has put before us two main ideas. The excellence of Christ, and then also the excellence of the Scriptures. But both of these require a Trinitarian framework. So that the Old Testament, let me just explain it, look at my foot. The Old Testament may be, at this point, having a foundation. Here we go into the New Testament. What do we have? A foundation. What is the foundation of all the new? The Holy Trinity. One God who is the creator of everything. So that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved equally in creation. They are equally involved in redemption. But it was then the Father's desire that the Son would come for our redemption. And so the Old Testament is already preparing us for the redemption of Christ. So that there is everything we find in the gospel. Let's say the gospel is here. We find it in the Old Testament. What's the difference? The clarity is not there. Because Christ has not come to give us that light. And so, be then balanced Christians. Be complex Christians. One God, three persons. That's a trinity. God is pleased to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. What does Christ do? He gives us access to the Old Testament. And we begin to see the unity between old and new. So that there is not a sense that you hear again and again, the God of the Old Testament was angry. The God of the New Testament is one of love. You have not read the Old Testament. And you have not read the New Testament. Because what does Hebrews chapter 12 say? Never forget that our God is a consuming fire. That's the same as in the Old Testament. Is that clear? So don't get simple answers begin to see that complexity is a way in which you begin to grow in maturity. So for the Apostle Paul, the gospel is Trinitarian. And the Trinity is the gospel. Please keep in mind, it's not enough to talk about God. It's not good enough to talk about God the Father. We have to be Trinitarian. There's another thing I want to make clear. Not only is the gospel Trinitarian, we also find that the Trinity entails the scriptures. In other words, never separate the scriptures from the Holy Trinity. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are self-communicating something of the nature of God. You want to know who God is? You have the scriptures. They bear witness to our God. So, it is very much like a letter where God is explaining who he is, just little bits at a time, but gradually you get to know who this triune God is. Let me make another point, that not only do we find that the gospel is Trinitarian, and that the scriptures are Trinitarian, we also have to recognize that all of God's revelation is Trinitarian. 
What does that entail? You cannot have a Christian view of creation except it be Trinitarian. Do you hear it? It has to be Trinitarian. Let me explain. The wonderful thing about the world of science, whether it be done on this planet or in space, is that there is unity. You are able to extrapolate data and predict as to what is, will be happening. And already then, in 1936, Albert Einstein said, what is a miracle is that the whole universe is comprehensible. How can you explain that the whole universe is comprehensible? There's one God who's made it all. And yet there is diversity. How can you explain that there is diversity in the world? In other words, there are sciences, not just one science. It's because God is three in one. And we have to begin to look at the world then from a Trinitarian perspective, explaining the old philosophical problem of unity and diversity. How can unity and diversity be connected? It's not because we are theists. But we are, anyone? We are Trinitarian theists. Please keep that in mind. That means that all the time we look for complexity. And I know some of you are saying already, Oh, come on. I just want the gospel to be simple. Just tell me that Jesus loves me and has forgiven my sins. I come with a different message. If you want to grow in maturity, you have to see the complexity of the gospel. And thank God for that complexity. So that by faith, we all, at our own level, apprehend something of that. So for the little boy, it could be 598. He would be happy with that. For you, it may be five billion. For others, they are dealing then with the problem of eternity, infinity. Magnificent. I cannot embrace or understand the issue of infinity. But some of you may be able to help me to understand a little bit more of that, do you see? So all of us have our own level of apprehension. So, uh, the point that I want to make is this. For the Apostle Paul, a monotheist, he is not a tritheist, he is a Trinitarian. And this is the gospel that he proclaims. And what is the effect of that gospel? Let's briefly take a look at a couple of aspects of that. In that he wants to make clear that the gospel that is, by its very nature, Trinitarian, is then a gospel... That leads to maturity. So let me ask you to take a look at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you already have heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. In other words, there is a connection between heaven and earth. There is a faith, a hope, and a love that is transcendent. Keep these words in mind. I'm going to use three trances. Transcendent. All of us are looking for transcendence. Infinity. Eternity. Perfection. But it's not found among us. And so the apostle is saying that there is a faith, a love, and a hope that is then stored up for us in heaven that has come down to us. 
And those of you that have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, you know something about the joy that you have in that you have a connection with God in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need that transcendence. Uh, Let me ask you a question since we have a fairly small crowd here today. We're not going to embarrass anyone. Anyone got married this year? Okay, you got married. Now, did you find perfection in your husband? What? Why did you ever meet him and get married to him? The reason is there is no perfection that we find in even the best of spouses. My wife and I have been married 51 years nearly, and she knows my imperfections. She knows that I'm still at 599, moving to 600. And I know her imperfections. But what gives us the bond in that we are connected with God in Jesus Christ, do you see? That gives us the bond. So there's a transcendent dimension to that marriage that maybe next year I'll learn some things that she has tried to teach me in the last 51 years. (laughs) And she hopes. (laughs) The second thing is, look as to how he continues in verse 6. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. In other words, the gospel is transcultural. It's not a particular culture or a particular uh, part of humanity, namely males or females or age group. No, it's all over the world. Wherever Paul has gone, he's seen the same effect. Where God's transcendence becomes imminent, where God reaches down into our world and we are able to reach through Christ into the world of God, there is a change taking place where there is then Wherever the gospel is being proclaimed, you can see fruit. And what is that fruit? It's maturity. Let's take a look then at maturity. He then says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This, my friends, is the key. The key is not that Jesus has forgiven you or that Jesus then has redeemed you. How does it show up? And for many of us, we remain very immature. We can say the basic things, namely Jesus died for me, God loves me and all of these things. But there's no maturity for Paul. When God comes down to us and there's a sense of transcendence. And we see that happening here and in other countries, in different cultures. There is a joy because there is a transformation of human beings. And how does it show? And uh, I've not been paying attention to time, but uh, how much time have I had? Okay, but let me just finish. I just want to invite you to begin to read this epistle. But notice as to how he continues in verse 10. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That's maturity. What are the effects? How do you know that you're growing in maturity? There are four standards. One, bearing fruit in every good work. Did you hear it? Bearing fruit. Don't say that means witnessing. Your life is transformed. 
people can see the difference in that instead of doing evil for good or that you are doing evil for evil, you're able to forbear the evil. You don't react immediately. You don't get angry immediately. You're able to settle these things in your relationship with Christ. And so there's not that reaction bearing fruit. Second, very importantly, to get to know who God is. Growing in the knowledge of God. What God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Get to know who God is. I encourage you. I welcome your pursuit of finding out who God is. In the New York Times, there was an article last year that I thought was very important. The author was arguing that theism or atheism is not the answer. A person can be theistic and remember, not necessarily be a Trinitarian theism. So theism can be defined in many different ways. But atheism, likewise, can be defined in many different ways. So all too often it is a position. I'm an atheist. So what? Can you define that? Can you defend it? I'm an atheist. That's reacting. The theist says, I'm a theist. Well, what kind of a theist? A theist. That's not the answer. Do you know God? That is the answer. And there are many theists who do not know God. There are many Trinitarian theists who do not know God. So there's no fruit. They don't know God. They don't grow in the knowledge of God. And notice and thirdly as the, how the Apostle Paul continues. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully. And then he continues. So what is it when you have power? The transcendent power of the Holy Spirit is yours. And you can then endure things where you don't react immediately. And you may wait for the right time to respond to a difficult situation. My wife and I have had many difficult situations and we keep on wrestling with a number of these issues. And we just don't have power. But we are waiting for that power. So until that power comes, we wait to deal with the issues till we have an insight from on high. So we learn to be patient. And then fourthly, and with that I suppose I'm going to quit, but I will still say something for a couple of minutes thereafter. So please be patient. Uh, he continues, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Thanksgiving. In Colossians, he says several times, and be thankful. That is a very important quality. Because all too often we think about all the problems and all the problem people that we have met and all the issues that we have to resolve. We are overwhelmed by it. Where was Paul when he wrote this? In prison. He was under house arrest. What does he say in Philippians that he also wrote from prison? Rejoice. That is really a mark of Christian maturity. So let me summarize these four aspects and you read on and you can begin to see as to how there's a maturity that Paul has cultivated. 
So how do we know that we are growing in grace? By bearing fruit. By knowing God. By enduring terrible things. But we have a power from on high. And because we have the power from on high, there is thanksgiving. That shows us the character of Christ. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to just entice you to continue reading. Because what is then the power that the Apostle Paul is speaking about? He continues then to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In verse 13 he says, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, you've been put into the kingdom of the sun. In other words, the big picture the Apostle Paul is developing. You are not yourself anymore. You are in Christ. And who is Christ? Verse 15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator. All things then exist in him. All things then are sustained by him. Verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church. And all of a sudden, there's a focus on Christ. He begins in a Trinitarian way. He helps us understand the gospel and the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? One, it is in transcendence. Second, it is transcultural. Third, it is transformational. And look at yourself. Ask yourself, do you have that transcendent dimension in your life? You have to. Because you're in Christ. Second, are you showing a faith that is cultural? I teach regularly in the African-American community. And the challenge that I give to my African-American friends is transcend your culture. Because there's a black speak, as you know. And there is a big understanding of the gospel. And the black speak is, con- is tangential to the gospel, but it's not the gospel. There's the white speak. And that's not the gospel. We have to learn that the gospel brings us together. And that's then that transcendent, transcultural way. And how does it bring us together? What are those four characteristics that he speaks about? We all grow in fruit, right? Second, we all grow in the knowledge of God. Third, we all power from the Holy Spirit for endurance. And finally, fourth, thanksgiving. And that leads into Christian maturity in Jesus Christ. I'm sorry I have to stop here. Uh, I would love to walk with you through Colossians. Incidentally, my profession is Old Testament. But what did I say? We have to be able to move from the new to the old, back to the new, in that there is one God who is three in one. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time of fellowship in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have sent your son so that we may be members of the kingdom of light and that we have an inheritance that far surpasses anything that we can even begin to imagine. I thank you for these brothers and sisters and ask for your continued care for them, that you will nourish them to the point of maturity, 
that regardless of their personal background, regardless of their education or lack thereof, regardless of the circumstances in life, there's a maturity that we grow and that we will be recognized as being then followers of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.